Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to Recall the Midwife. In today's episode, we are going to discuss Jennifer Worth's book. I'm Becky. I'm Alex. And I'm Jen. Um, And a a reminder that this week's episode is going to be covering a lot of topics in the book called The Midwife, which is admittedly, for all of our listeners, very, very dark. Um, There are themes of sexual abuse, childhood and adult illness, child abuse, um, issues of domestic violence, um, extreme poverty, um, you know, old age, yeah, old age, um, you know, issues around aging, death and dying. So just a a warning to our listeners that if, you know, if, if those topics, especially very challenging topics are not something you feel up to listening to today, um, please, you know, just take a break and we hope to see you for the next one. But you're here, you already know this, you'll you'll be loving it, to be honest. Uh, anyway. <laughs> if you're a fan of the show, you will know a lot of these themes already, so just, Although, just I was bear shocked. in mind. I was shocked when I first... Anyway, I just want to say something before we start. I just yes. want to say a massive shout out and hello to Karen Lasry Donovan, who she's messaged us and our heart goes out to you. She says she listens to the our podcast while doing a chemo and we just want to send you massive positive vibes and just, you know... We just, oh, we just, I couldn't believe that. It made my heart hurt. So I just want to say thank you so, so much for listening to us. And um, just a hi, a big, a big personal hello to you. Yes. And, and, I, and, listening. <laughs> and I'm going to piggyback on that with, with two quick things. Um, We had, I looked the other day, I don't know if you guys have looked at this. Um, Our listeners, our beautiful listeners have given us great ratings and reviewings on iTunes, which is also the platform that I listen to the podcast on. And to piggyback off of um, Karen, that beautiful listener, um, the review that we have um, 
she doesn't give her name, but she says her sister found our show or the Call of the Midwife show during chemo treatment. And then they started to watch it together so they could discuss it. And they listen to the podcast and they live in different states. And so they watch the show, listen to the podcast together. And, um, and she says, I love laughing along with you all. It's increased my understanding of the show, especially English slang and expressions, which is so beautiful. I just love that. And, um, so, and then the other quick, quick thing I want to say is a listener wrote in and, um, you know, with beauty and graciousness gave Bex and I both a win on the science of hyacinth plantings Yes, because she told us that you can compel or encourage hyacinths to bloom in winter around Christmas time. It's not their natural course to do it on their own, but if a loving and caring gardener decides to help them in that journey, it is possible. So we both so were right. I was you right both then, won. Then. You were right. I was right. Everyone was right. And that is the that Can is I the also say this listener of Julie, everything. This listener yeah. Julie also said that she really loves it when I say, put it in the drawer, Sheila. Because <laughs> 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 she's obviously a very discerning listener. Yes, yes, exactly. So, um, so, yeah, thank just, you so much for listening, everyone. And to celebrate, we're going to do a really dark episode. <laughs> I know, I know. This this is going to get so serious so fast. And oh. um, just know that we have all been talking to each other about how absolutely, like, bleak at best, traumatizing at worst, this book has been. I, I really, I mean, we've said it before, but we really have to hand it off to... Um, you know the whoever had the bright idea that this should become Heidi a show Thomas. on the BBC, Heidi Thomas, because my good grief! I mean, they really took something. Now you know the only story time. The only storyline that really got me was Mrs. Jenkins in the book. Yeah, I'd, when you I'd, say I'd... really got me, what do you mean by that? Well, we've obviously discussed it and said you guys have said how bleak and dark it was. And I'm just like, I'm just like, that was the only storyline where I was like, oh, this this is bleak. So not Mary, who was like forced to live in poverty and forced sexual explo- sexually exploited. Or Conchita or... Um, the- I don't want to say I'm all right with those things, but... <laughs> but Mrs. Jenkins, I nearly shed a tear. I shed a tear in the Mary. I shed a tear loads in it. It's, oh. it's so dark. I couldn't believe they actually made this show that I love so much and has got so much heart in it out of something so horrific. I like, know. it's not horrifically written, it's beautifully written. I'm not saying anything oh, about Jennifer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's just the situation, how she's managed to think, oh, I know, this is really, really dark. I'm going to make a really lovely, heartwarming Sunday night TV show out of this. Mm-hmm, hmm Well, and, and again, I mean, the show is all of those things, but I, I, I don't think we've ever really talked about this on the podcast before, but one thing that this book absolutely drove home to me was that there are there is not a lot of places where you find really honest and yet respectful and fully immersive stories of people who are really, really struggling with poverty. And even the best off in this story and in in the podcast and in the show are still, you know, 
were I mean there's a few mentions of like upper class like aristocratic people and things like that but a lot of these people are really in the lower social classes of society and that is that is a really kind of hard place to live and especially in this time place time period it's a hard place to live and the book is unflinchingly honest with its like the absolute you know just like harshness and challenge of that and so yeah well I just want to say as well um Jennifer Worth's daughter I I watched a a big tv show about her and everything and she was saying the reason Jennifer Worth did this obviously to highlight that as well those issues yeah but the main thing was um there were there was this study done and basically we're saying there was no fiction or any books or anything or any research or anything on midwives Mm. and she was like hang on like I've there's there's a niche in this market and I can get those stories out there but she thought it was important to tell yeah. those stories as a midwife who's experienced it during this really revolutionary time because obviously the NHS was started and it was just after the war and uh yeah so that's why she decided to write her memoirs yeah well and and I'll again I'll I'll just say I'll just add I read this book and I thought to myself every every book that I've ever read in in school or of my own choice or movie I've watched uh, you know about the about any war any war but especially like wars within the last you know 150 years this is as harrowing and serious and dark and violent and scary and illuminating about our basic humanity i mean it is everything that any of those war stories are about but because it's all women and family it's just like oh well you know i mean and i even thought about it because like you know i've watched all these things and it's like oh you know like um, the guys are going off to war and they get their new uniforms and everything and they kiss their girlfriends goodbye and they're always, you know, like hanging up laundry on a line outside or, you know, pulling a casserole out of the oven or whatever. And then they ship off and then all the quote important stuff starts to happen. Right. And all the women are at home and they're just, you know, just doing normal stuff and like they're on the home front. So, okay, it's fine or whatever. No, no, no. These women are dealing with this, the essence and the, the heart of what it means to be alive every single day, day in and day out. They're, yeah, but they're also disease. keeping people alive. They're, they're yes. literally having a baby. They're bringing life into the world. They're looking after and keeping their children that are already alive. Around. They're looking after all the old people and in yeah. abject poverty and horrific conditions. Do you see the pictures in here as well? Anyway, yes. can I just say before we start actually going into the book, I was really nervous about this. I felt like I was doing the GCSE. Because yeah. the last time yeah. I did anything where I prepared a book like this was an Inspector Calls and To Kill a Mockingbird <laughs> from a GCSEs. And I, I did To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, oh, that's and I was, a great honestly, American novel, yeah. I got A star, it was fine. But the point is, um, I was not prepared. I'm more prepared today than I was for them. So well, there you go. A star episode, everyone. <laughs> it shows, it shows. Here, just, just, to like, just to like highlight this one point before... Before we go to bed, uh, go to bed. Sorry, before we get get going with the podcast. So there's a podcast on. The, sorry, there. Apologies. There is a chapter in the book on eclampsia, which we saw a few characters in the series already oh. deal with. Remember Mrs. Um, Jones, Margaret Jones. Her and her husband yeah. kind of had an age gap. She died of eclampsia. Okay. So this chapter is kind of the real story of Margaret Jones and then another woman as well, and they different versions of eclampsia that they have and kind of how they're treated and everything. And she says. Preeclampsia and eclampsia are still leading causes of maternal and perinatal mortality in the UK in spite of modern antenatal care. What befell the women with preeclampsia when there was no antenatal care? It does not take a great deal of imagination to answer that one, yet doctors who advocated the study of and provision for proper antenatal care were regarded 100 years ago as eccentrics and time wasters. 
The same attitude poured scorn on the idea of a structured and regulated training for midwives. Let those of us who have borne children thank God that those days are now past. Amen. I mean, and who bears children? Half of the population, okay? Roughly half. So if you think about the minimization of that amount of people, not even 100 years ago, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, okay. Three I'll, words, I'll ladies. Down, no, four. I'm tired. Down with the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> That's our new uh, podcast title. Down with the patriarchy. Yeah, now, exactly. I was very, I was very harsh about the Margaret Jane storyline when in Call the Midwife, if mm-hmm. we'll think back. But actually, in the book, I was like, oh, this is actually a very, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's really tough. It's really tough. Okay, so we we chatted about this. We're going to have a little bit of structure. So, something we thought we would do is kind of touch on some of the characters in the book, and then especially um, how they how they also transferred over to the show. And Bex, you said the first one you wanted to chat about is Ted and Winnie. The real life Ted and yeah, Winnie. Because te- well, just because Ted and Winnie actually existed and actually their story was very similar to how it played out on the show. Uh-huh. Yeah. So and- I was just like, thank God for Ted. Oh, Said thank it before, God I'll say Ted. it again. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you guys, okay. So, well, wait, did you want to say more about Ted and Winnie? Well, no, but for people who just can't remember Ted and Winnie, um, Winnie basically yeah. married an older man. Uh, when after her husband ran off, he was widowed. widowed. Yeah, um, she was white, he was white, um, and basically she had a black baby, and uh, it wasn't his. And there was this whole um, story from her saying that she didn't quite love him at first, but then she realised how much she loved him, and he's a really kind man. And now she's terrified of him leaving her. And then once she had a baby, who was gorgeous, might I add, um, Ted was just like, "I love him, I love him," and he, he could see that it probably wasn't his child, but. But the doctors were like, can he? But Dr. Tinder was like, can he actually see that it's not his child? Like it was blinded by love and it was all this discourse on that. But it was it was based on true story. She did have an affair with someone just for one night stand. But then, um, yeah, then they, they were a family. They stayed a family. Gorgeous. And actually the book goes further into the child's childhood. Yes. And, and talks about how Ted would pick him up from school. And it, it just was heartwarming. It was. So... I've, I've, I've underlined a lot of this chapter because I felt the exact same way as you. So, um, uh, just two c- things about their life. When Ted was young, he had prudently taken out an insurance policy that matured when he was 60. He now did not have to go out to work ever again. Winnie, on the other hand, did not want to give up the paper shop. So by the time they got together, he was that old and she was in her like early mid forties. Winnie was 44 when her period stopped. She thought it was the menopause. She felt a bit odd. But her mother told her all women feel a bit funny during the change and not to worry. Um, blah, blah, blah. She starts to gain weight. She has a bump on her tummy. They feel it. Fred's, uh, sorry, Ted's wife passed away from cancer. So he was very anxious about any kind of hard lumps that he felt. And so they got to the doctor, found out she was pregnant. And then all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, Ted is so excited. Well, can I just um, say in the, in the actual TV show as well, she was 41. Do you remember yeah, yeah, yeah. So about it. Yeah, because it was the same age. Yeah, exactly. Why have shaved off three years to make us feel old? I don't know. Who, who, who knows? Um, but then, so Jennifer Worth says, um, you know, he tended all of this stuff to help them when they came and everything. But then he was going to get ushered out, you know, because the baby was going to be born. And she says, I looked at his library books. 
Grantly, Dick reads Natural Childbirth, Margaret Miles Midwifery, The New Baby, Positive Parents, The Growing Child, From Birth to Teens. He'd been doing his homework. So that was really, he was reading all of these baby books. It was so sweet. Which, let's be honest, in the 50s, very unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and completely unheard of. So then, so the scene where um, Ted comes in, sees the newborn, realizes that he's black, and then just completely doesn't even comment on it and overlooks it and says how beautiful he is that's real i won't read this whole scene but it ends the book he says he says well i don't reckon to know how much about babies but i can see as this is how the most beautiful in the world what's we going to call him love and then they say okay let's call him edward um and just a word so he had no inhibitions about waiting outside the school gates along with the young mothers nearly half a century his junior um you know, he would he took him down to the docks. He was doing all this wonderful stuff as the kid was growing older. And there's a real role reversal because Ted really raises his little Ted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what gets me about this whole thing though? It, like not just the book, but also the TV show. Like, because obviously it's based on real people. But like, how old will little Ted be now? Like seventy five, eighty. Like it's no, no, not that old. He oh, would 70... probably be like sixty. No, he, he won't born... be. He was born in fifty. Well, my mom was born in 48 and she's 74, so he won't be that old. Why He'll am I be... so bad at maths? <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll be late 60s, won't he? Late 60s, early 70s, we'll say. Yeah, yeah or yeah. late 60s. Yeah, but like, that's mad. It's just mad. I that's know. That's my I mind. Know. I mean, this is this time period is before the civil rights movement in America. So, I mean, you yeah, can but only even imagine. Yeah, but still alive. It just blows my mind. I know. Well... I thought about this earlier. This whole book happened less than a hundred years ago, like le- way less than a hundred years ago, and yeah. it's still so vastly different than our. Yeah, well, world my parents today were born in, a lot in of ways. 1950 and 51, so yeah, yeah. Oh, it's wild! It's wild. Now, can we just can we just talk briefly about some of the other um, mixed race uh, family experiences here? Because Jennifer Worth does two. Th- she does something where she goes. She has three chapters, each titled Of Mixed Descent, and then she has one, two, and three. And the third chapter is about Ten of Winnie, which is ostensibly the happiest ending of all three of them. Yeah, the I can see why one, she ended on that one. Oh, she gave us one <laughs> at least break from the from the horror. But anyways, <laughs> so the second story is about Cyril and Doris, which is also covered in the show. And they're the couple where um, Doris is the hairdresser and she has the black baby and Cyril is an abusive husband. And so they... Um, they do not keep the baby in the family. Um, and she never saw uh, the baby adopted. again. Yeah, and in the, and in the book, it's the same. It's the same thing. Um, he the you know Cyril comes in. He's extremely upset. Um, he's going to be violent towards a child, and the curate takes him away. And um, then his mother never sees the baby again. So that's very very sad one. So we'll just kind of leave that one there. But then, girls, did we read the did we read the chapter right before that with Bella um, and Tom? Bella and Tom. And that one never made it into the show. No, it didn't. Well, no. you say that, but there was another, there were two characters called, there was another character called Bella and Tom, but they were completely different storyline. Like he just went off to university and she stayed at home. She thought she was pregnant then wasn't. So they kind of adapted that storyline. Mm. Right. But we haven't seen that in the show yet. Oh yeah, we haven't, where well, we're up to, but I have. So no. Yeah, well, we've all <laughs> seen it, but we haven't like <laughs> talked about that one yet. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
this this story is hilarious they have it's it well not it's not hilarious i apologize it's not hilarious but basically this is a family where they actually have a lot of means you know they have a really really wonderful um wedding these two kids are in love they get married in their early 20s you know beautiful all that you know she jenny makes yeah jenny makes a bunch of notes about like they're both very white pale (laughs) white people (laughs) they have multiple carpets wall-to-wall carpet Which, let's got... be honest with the poverty around that is a big deal oh yeah this family is definitely explained to be much better off than most of the families in poplar yeah. she's, she's more of like you know maybe what you would say like a middle-class person uh middle-class couple and so anyway so bella gets pregnant you know she's going into labor whatever um and then and, and so we Jenny's should say she's her. She's fallen into a depression, which is obviously just the stress and anxiety because she thinks she's going to have a black baby. Yeah. Now, I can't exactly remember. So Flo is Bella's mom. Okay. I can't remember if Flo kind of knew what was happening beforehand. But I. But by the time the labor is like really, really starting, um, it comes out. And basically, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. And in that okay. respect, I think they mixed the storyline with Ted and Winnie because when in the show, when Winnie gives birth, she confesses yes. to Trixie. Mm-hmm. But in, in the book, Winnie never mentions anything. Yeah. So she, they have kind of mixed the two storylines. That must there. have been even more of a shock for actually Jennifer Woods in real life. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> well this is this is what's wild so so she's having she's she's starting to really feel the contractions everything is getting very intense and um she's bella is acting really weird around tom tom really wants to be kind of around but like they're both trying to push him away or whatever jenny is like well just let him ring for the doctor we need the doctor anyway like it's getting very complicated i can't deliver this baby on my own and then and then she goes um and then sorry pardon me and then Jennifer Worth in the book goes, Bella gave a low scream. No. Then with her voice rising with every, every iteration. No, no, no. Stop it. You got to stop it. And she cries, she cries out and she, and Jenny says, I must ring to ask, I must ask Tom to ring for the doctor at once. Bella cries out. No, I don't want no doctor. Oh God. Don't you understand? The baby's going to be black. He'll kill me. Tom will when he sees it. And then, oh, and then, and then she says, I don't think Flo understood, understood what she had said. So uncommon were black people in the East End at that time that her daughter's words didn't make any sense to her. Bella was still screaming. Then she swore at her mother and yelled at her. Can't you understand you silly old cow? The baby's going to be black. This time Flo understood. And then they're both kind of in, in the, in the thick of it. I mean, it is the most, it is the most gossip. Gossipy gossip I've ever heard in my whole that life. That passage, though, do you not think that from the from the way she described that birth, it's like the most negative, horrible experience. Because obviously, they were shouting at her, calling her a she was shouting at her mum, calling her a cow. She was shouting, "I can't have this baby." Then her mum was shouting at her. Then Jenny starts shouting at the mum, telling her to get out because she well, because was shouting the mom... at the husband. It was just awful. I know, but the thing is, Jenny starts shouting because the mom wants to again. Sorry, trigger warning, but the mom wants to euthanize this baby as soon as it's born that's what yeah. that's what her no, plan is no. i thought she was gonna she wasn't gonna euthanize the baby i thought she was gonna i was gonna say just put it in an institution obviously yeah, that's not put it in an institution i thought it was to just take it away somewhere oh yeah. wait hold on oh okay when it's born i'll take it away and put it in an institution no one will know yeah that's not like cock me around into like the slit of oh, his throat god. oh god oh <laughs> god 
<laughs> but it was just really that. And then she started shouting at the mum. I just thought, oh, do I actually have to work in that oh, environment? And like, Flo says, Ugh. we'll tell Tom the baby's dead. Okay. Yo, yeah. and, well, but then this, then this is what Jenny says. She says, but you can't do that in this day and age. You can't spirit away a living baby announced that it died. You would never get away with it. Tom thinks he's the father. He would ask to see the baby. He would ask why it died. And then, and then they just kind of go you know on. And what I thought when, I mean, Jennifer Worth knows better than me, but I did think all of these babies that are born to unmarried mothers that they have no control over, those children are adopted without their mother's consent. And I just thought she's in a predicament. Maybe it's because she was married. If you're married, maybe you've got to have a father's yeah. signature or something. Well, yeah, Jennifer Worth does say that. She says, and well, and Jen and Jennifer Worth says, you know, like I can't deliver this baby and then lie about where it's gone. Like I, I have a responsibility to be truthful. And she said, if you say that the baby has, is is gone, like you're going to have the police after you because that just won't work. And then, and then I think even at one, yeah, oh yeah, it's just it's just so it's just bloody black, bleak. It's really dark. Oh, it's so terrible. But then. And we should say that the baby is born white, so all of this panic over nothing. Yeah, but then it's like they just carry on as normal. And Jenny, you can see Jenny um, in the in the passage in the in the chapters, like through gritted teeth, like angry about the whole horrible situation, and they're just carrying on their life like normal. And she's just like, "Are we going to pretend that didn't happen?" <laughs> I do think, though. I mean, I I think if they'd have called one of the nuns, I think one of the nuns would have been more understanding of the situation. You think you think one of the nuns would have been like, okay, fine, just take it away. Yeah, probably. No, I, I, hey, I don't know. you I, say that, but look at um, the way they were with Cyril and his baby. They were all about to take it away. No, that was totally different because both parents knew what was going on. No, they didn't. Cyril didn't know what was going on. We're what talking about the, the show, show now? or in the book? Oh, in the show. Oh, I thought there was a line in the show where Cyril says, like, when I get back here, that child better not be here. It is at the end. But if you remember beforehand, they had an interview with a charity to get rid of the baby. Yeah, they were. Get- but that's the show, not the book. Yeah, true. I'm getting yeah, so it's a little different. Um, but just yeah. I love Jenny's I line. I still She's- think, knowing what I know of the nuns, <laughs> they would have been very understanding of the situation. They kicked it like a football out of Poplar. <laughs> Okay, I just would say there's a difference between being between <laughs> working with your client in their best interest and like within the confines of your of your service and also like being like understanding and like and like accepting and condoning things that are happening. You know what I mean? Like I I just I will at least say that as a little bit of a distinction. But Jenny says so the Jennifer Worth in the book she says I was the only person outside the family to know and until this moment I have never told a soul. And I, I really wrote, hope I really hope you know when I was reading it. I really hoped that um, this was like someone was identifying with it and being like, hang on, this sounds like my family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I literally wrote spill the tea, Jenny, because I was just like, oh, my God, you are like really telling some stories in this one. Okay, so next um, we're going to go to Chummy, unless anyone has anything. Well, no, I want to go to Mary really quick because I want to do a seamless uh, (laughs) intro to it. Because, you know, when you were just saying about, when we were just saying about, you know, people at home identifying with it, I mm. Google, I was Googling who that woman was who went to prison for trying to steal a child. That's what made me do that with the Mary. Oh, you, oh you looked up the real Mary. Yeah, I did. And I found it. But I'm not going to tell you who it is. Everyone has to do that as their own homework. Oh, you mean you found the real name of the real person yeah, who did it? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, so Mary was just a pseudonym for that. Yes. Oh, I bet you she, you know what? She says she uses a lot of pseudonyms in this. So I bet you yeah. that was who it is. Well, do you want to talk about Mary now? And then we'll do kind of a lighthearted a couple of people after that. Yeah. Oh, Mary. Oh, God. Oh, oh Mary. Mary. Her, well, I'm really squeamish anyway. And this, like, oh, the situations that she got in, that she got into, it was absolutely heartbreaking. She was 15. Like, I'm oh. 41 and I couldn't cope with that. Like, it was oh. absolutely horrific. You wouldn't, you wouldn't recover. You wouldn't recover. What, such um, a vulnerable girl. And to be brought in, like, that, 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 that night where they, where they say where she met Zakia. And then she oh. went to the cafe and he gave her wine. She said it tasted awful, but she felt well, really fuzzy headed. Wait, wait, wait. Let's just, let's just repl- let's just rewind for a quick minute. Okay. So the Mary chapter starts. Um, I'm just turning to it really quickly here. And the thing about Mary, Jenny gives her the context of her life. Um, because the oh. thing is, Zakia is not even the beginning of her story. Basically, no. she's a young Irish girl who, um, is living in extreme poverty in Ireland. Her parents are together, but her father passes away or is gone for some reason. Her mother falls into drugs, and then their family kind of goes downwards from there. There's a stepfather, not not that they get married, I don't think, but a a mother's boyfriend who comes into the home, begins abusing Mary um, sexually, which is terrible. Also is very abusive to her mother as well, so that's that's also terrible. Um, Mary flees in an effort to get away from that, understandably. She finds out that she can go to London if she has just like X amount of like a small amount to get on the boat. Well, she over to... said it was like to like Dick Whittington, like yeah. she heard about it and like how childlike is that? Yeah. Like she's just like, Oh, I'm going to flee to London town. And then the, you know, the streets will pave with gold and everything will be great from there. So she gets to the docks when the boat lands, not in London, still kind of far away. A very nice, actually nice man who's driving a lorry into the city gives her a ride and he like buys her a meal. He's very, very sweet to her. She, he, he like doesn't really, you know, he's like, where do you want me to drop you off? She's like, oh, anywhere is fine kind of thing. Well, he drops her off. She kind of goes hungry, sleeps at a church door. Well, you know, like is, is kind of wandering for a few days. And then but that's she, she was like, used to that. She's like used to like setting up bedding. Oh. Yeah, I mean, she's she's really, really in a very, very sad, dark place here. Then meets Zakir through just the unfortunateness of bad luck, basically. He starts talking to her. He buys her a hot meal. He's really nice to her. And then at the end of the hot meal, I have it right here. And I was I literally wrote it down. Um, wait, I know you all can hear me flipping my pages. I literally wrote groomer at the end of this chapter because he goes, um, he says, uh, he says, we must get going. What will your mother think? You being out with a stranger all this time. And she said, me ma'am's a long way off in Ireland. Well, your dad then. My dad's dead. You poor little thing. I suppose you're living here with an auntie in London? He stroked my cheek again when he said, you poor little thing. And I thought I would melt with happiness. So I snuggled up in his arms and told him the whole story. But I didn't tell him about my ma'am my mother's man and what he'd done to me because I was ashamed and I didn't want him to think badly of me. He didn't say anything. Then he said, poor little Mary, what are we going to do with you? I can't leave you here by the cuts all night. I feel responsible for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now, I think you'd better come back with me to my uncle's place. It's a nice cafe. My uncle is very kind. We can have a good meal, and then we can plan your future. And I... I just was like, if that is not the classic story, it's not exactly like, um, you know, like a traffic situation, but it's very, very close. And See, uh, the, the part that got me, because obviously I started at the Zakia bit, because obviously that bit, it's not like I'm like, oh, that was lovely, that part where she had a horrible, impoverished childhood and was really unhappy. No, no. But the Zakia chapter was so graphic. Oh. So graphic. Like it made it knocked me sick. And I was, Oh, I, I just like how have they managed to make something nice out of this this whole like obviously that storyline on the show was heartbreaking. But there's oh. a scene where she basically watches she doesn't realise she's in a brothel, basically, does she? But it's called a yeah. cafe. Which doesn't realise. Yeah, so she gets wine and then he's like, Oh, watch the show. And it's this woman basically how can I word this for a podcast? Well, it, it's it's a it's a it's a strip tease kind of show performance. You know, she's like a stripper to start with in her act. That men and then that, pay to to perform sexual acts with her, yeah. basically. Yeah. In front of everyone and everyone's all there. It's just so oh, dark and so terrifying for this fifteen year old, but she's literally got nowhere else to go. Um she she doesn't understand what she, I I know she doesn't really understand what she's looking at. She says she says in that scene um that you know she like figured it out because she saw the the men having sex with the performer um but she's not i mean and and the thing is after jenny meets her in the book i don't know if i don't know if i had specifically understood this prior to this but mary is 14 years old she is 15 years old when she gives birth to her child this is a 14 year old girl seeing this like being in this environment and 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 by the way witnessing that um as Zakir calls it like the best entertainment in London that's like her first night in the cafe that that is the beginning of this horrible odyssey well that's the best night for her yeah because she gets she gets a nice work yeah and she I mean oh my god I just oh it's just so dark yeah but so so Zakir is really kind to her whatever he sees the thing is other other women come up to Zakir in the cafe that night with Mary and he is like pushing them away shoving them away punching them yelling at them he's really horrible to them and Mary's like oh he you know like they must all be like horrible women like he's so nice to me he would never do that to me she's completely completely sold on this man being her savior and then he dumps her in the the brothel and basically the uncle is in charge of her and then she kind of gets you know um like she kind of then is is ordered well she is trafficked but then like under the under the uncle there's another hierarchy of women that are kind of ordering her around and she's really the lowest on the totem pole so not only does she have to do a lot of horrible um tasks like cleaning the toilet well i was gonna say not only does she have to perform does she have to do a lot of sex work like she also has to do a lot of other horrible like household tasks which are just absolutely as bleak as you can imagine and and just really disgusting i mean just like the things that jenny describes in this book are horrible 
And it's when she finds out that Nellie, a friend of hers in the brothel, is um, pregnant. And then she sees what happens to her, which is a terrible... I'm sorry. I'm just saying this all myself. I should let you guys cut in, but it just, it, she, they perform a really, really, really horrible, gruesome abortion, um, which I won't describe. It's just, I literally wrote horror next to the passage where they say, can I just um, say, do a confession. I had to fast forward this and I couldn't read that bit of the book. Like I literally oh, was going to faint. <laughs> it's like, awful, awful, awful. It's the worst thing. So this, this storyline very closely matches what happened in the show. Yeah. But it's 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 sanitized within an inch of its life in the show, which it has to be. I mean, you could never you could never cover any of this in a TV show and have it not be the most gritty thing. And um, I was just so shocked at the graphic language she used. And I'm not criticizing her at all because it showed how gritty it was. It was it was real. Yeah. Um, but, oh, I was not prepared because obviously on the on the Sunday night. It, it, don't get me wrong, it deals with some really dark issues and heart, but it's got a heart behind it and it's really lovely. Whereas this, I think this book really does demonstrate how not every situation does have a heart. Poor Mary had no chance and no one kept looking out for her and no love. And I felt yeah. so bad for her, but it really comes through in the book. It yeah. did, it did, it did to an extent as much as you can on a Sunday night do that mm-hmm. on the TV show. But the book, oh, it really did justice to how horrendous her situation was and I also assumed that the, on the show obviously the situation I thought yeah that's going to be drawn on real life but I didn't realize that she did actually kidnap a baby in real life yeah well so let so let's let's kind of keep moving forward so um so Jenny has now met Mary she finds all of this history out because Mary and her are having dinner at a cafe where the five pound note is all Mary took when she was running out of the brothel to escape and so that's all the preamble. Okay, now we're sitting here and Jenny says, Mary ran for her life and the life of her baby. She hadn't the faintest idea of where she was going, so she just ran, driven by fear, blah, blah, blah. She connects with Jenny, Jennifer Worth. Jennifer Worth is like, okay, I'm going to take you home to Nanatis. They do that and everything. Then um, Sister Julianne connects uh, them to Father Joe and she says, Father Joe was a saint. Saint, I just, And I just have to read this part because I know we all love Father Joe in the show as well. Oh, I well, can I just say, in the, in the book, he's a cockney. Yes! In the yeah, show, and I he's fought in the war and I was just like, oh, Father Joe. I know. Oh, lush. Okay. Father Joe was a saint. Saint come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. They don't have to wear halos. Father Joe was born and bred in the slums of Poplar in the 1890s. Somehow he survived cold, hunger, neglect, and four years at the front during the First World War. He was a rough, tough East End street kid, crude and loud mouthed, yet when he, had no, when he was no more than a child, he had a vision that God was calling him to be a priest. He overcame a lack of a proper education, a thick Cockney accent that no one else could understand, the inability to express himself, and class prejudice. The well-close trust still exists in the 21st century and is still engaged in the same worth of helping the people of the red light district. Amazing. Okay. So then, so meets father Joe, but the thing is Mary is in right by cable street. So as her pregnancy is going on, they're afraid that she's going to get discovered and then get sucked back in. So then she gets transferred to a um, home for uh, mothers giving birth in where is it? Kent? Sorry, it doesn't matter where. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't matter where. Anyways, but she goes up there. She has the baby. Jenny's been in touch with her or whatever like that. Um, and then 
the and then Jenny gets a postcard from Mary and she says, you know, my baby's gone. So she goes back up to visit and they and they basically have a very similar scene to the one that happens in the show where, you know, Jenny is like finds out that Mary's baby has been adopted kind of without her knowledge, given to a given to a family. And it was and, a nun. It was actually a nun in the in the TV show. It was a it was Father Joe who was going on about it, but it was actually a nun in this one. Yeah, in the show they kind of just amalgamated the two characters. Yeah. But um but I, I will say it was it was a heartbreaking scene in the book because the Reverend because Jenny goes into the Reverend Mother thinking, Oh, I'm gonna advocate, I'm gonna say, you know, this and this has to happen and you know, get Mary her baby back. And the Reverend Mother is like, No, that's really not how this works. And then she kind of goes through and says, you know, consent isn't necessary to give the child away because Mary is only uh, 15 years old and she said it makes no difference she is still legally a child and consent is neither valid nor invalid um, and then she basically says we did we did all we can to trace Mary's family I mean she goes on in detail about that um, and then Jenny says oh but it'll it, you know it'll kill her and she says well I know but this this was a really sad thing she says you are young my dear and full of righteous indignation which our lord loves but you must understand that it is very very rare for a prostitute to leave the trade it is too easy to make money a girl is hard up and the opportunity is always there why slave away all day in a factory for five shillings when you can earn 10 or 15 shillings a half an hour we know from experience that few things are more damaging to a growing child than to watch mother working on the streets it just so sad but I, like it, and that's kind of what joe says to to jenny in the show as well oh it... but well then they fast forward and um, yes. and in another chapter basically it was it was said that she was she was married jennifer worth by then she wasn't jenny lee anymore and she had two daughters of her own and she saw that in manchester well in liverpool she stole a baby um and it was on yeah. the news and she saw it was her and she, she was like should i go up and speak to her and she was like well what actual good will that do? I'll just be leaving my children with that. It's a long journey up and all that. So, but yeah, so she went to prison in Manchester. I mean, it was, I will say this was, this was a moment of real, I wrote, I wrote, this was very honest. She says, um, you know, circumstances bring people together and take them apart. One cannot keep up with everyone in a lifetime. In any event, was there any true friendship between myself and Mary? Probably not. It was mainly a friendship of dependence on her part with pity and I am almost ashamed to confess it, curiosity on my part. I thought, oh, I mean, I, I really appreciated her candor. It was not easy to read that. But well, also, I, like, professional duty as well. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. It was, that one was a really, that one was a really tough, tough story. And was so much worse than the, than the show, which. But yeah, which was dark anyway. Right, next so. one. Okay, so let's go to let's go to Chummy first, and then we'll and then we'll do Jimmy. Um, you girls know I have to talk about Jimmy in this. I don't want to talk about Jimmy. I'm kidding. <laughs> we have to just say a few words about it, and I don't it's not have even that to I do anything. Even, We've talked about him enough. No, it's not even that I want to talk about him that much. There's actually another scene. Okay, well, anyways, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. So Chummy. Okay, so here's my here's my thing with Jennifer Worth. And I'll just do I'll just do this part first part quickly before I get to Chummy. The thing I have felt so often in listening and reading to this book is that Jennifer Worth is like your grandma. You love her so much, you respect her so much, but she also says things that absolutely make your teeth rattle because of how like outdated and rude and and on a, honestly a lot of ways absolutely so offensive it is that she still talks that way, but she's like from another time. And again, like I said, you love her, you respect her so much, so you kind of try to let it pass. Like <laughs> well, I'm going to, so yeah, definitely. Okay, so 
the parent the so there's a chapter called chummy i was like oh i'm so excited chummy's one of my favorite characters i really identify so strongly with chummy in so many ways and i this chapter absolutely blew my mind and it made me so angry with jennifer worth i thought this was one of the most offensive chapters like i just it was so frustrating okay i've highlighted a bunch of things the first time i saw camilla fortescue chumley brown just call me chummy i thought it was a bloke in drag six foot two inches tall with shoulders like a front row forward and size 11 feet her parents had spent a fortune trying to make her more feminine but to no effect okay this giant in skirts entered okay um she i thought that was just her using like poetic license just to make it even just a bit more dramatic no no it's it's absolutely so rude to describe someone like that okay i'm not saying it's nice (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean it's it's descriptive but yeah it's still it's still rude as hell okay then she go then this is what really breaks my heart okay she goes um oh i skipped a page oh there was a lot more to say okay um strangely enough for all her massive size her voice was soft and sweet in fact during the time that i knew her i realized that everything about chummy was soft and sweet despite her appearance there was nothing butch about her she had the nature of a gentle artless young girl diffident and shy she was also pathetically eager to be liked i was like okay now she explains why she was why she wanted to be liked but it's like wow just throw her bone there jenny okay then she goes um her great size and angular shape emphasized the petite charm of the queen and the exquisite beauty of the two princesses, Elizabeth and Margaret. That was a description when when they saw the picture of Chummy at her like presentation Betty of Buckingham Tom Palace. Ball, yeah. with me. Okay, then she goes, um, after the debutante bit came a year at the Cordon Bleu School, which took a small number of select young ladies on a residential basis. Chummy learned all the arts of the perfect hostess and, the, and blah, 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 but remained ungainly, awkward, oversized, and generally unsuited to hostessing in any society. So then she did needlework. Then she did a machine, machining work like sewing and everything else. Um, while all the other girls herringboned and feather stitched and chatted happily or sadly of their boyfriends and lovers, Chummy, liked by all but loved by none, remained silent, always the odd chum out. Then, okay, finally she finds nursing, thank God. She says, um, you know, she enrolled in the nursing school. She she was amazing at it. She adored the work. Patients loved her. She was finally, she was confident. She was competent. Um, she knew where she could be. Patients loved her. Senior staff respected her. Junior staff admired her. And then she says, in spite of her great size, she was gentle with an intuitive understanding of patients, especially the very old, very sick or dying. Okay, love. Okay, great. But then she said, then she's got to tear this one back down because she goes, okay, so she's working on, Chummy's working in the hospital and it's filled with like young male doctors and everything like that. So she's talking about, you know, how like oh, all no, the nurses, this may be sad. Oh, just don't even get me started. Okay, so she goes... Of course, young doctors and medical students, 90% of whom were male and always on the lookout for a pretty nurse, made fun of her and passed crude jokes about the difficulty of mounting a cart horse and which of them had the organ of a stallion suited to do the job. Freshmen were told of the ravishingly lovely nurse on North Ward with whom it would be possible to find a blind, fix a blind date, but they fled in horror when the blindness was given sight, vowing vengeance upon the jokers. Fortunately, such stories of pranks never reached Chummy's ears and passed straight over her head unnoticed. Had she been informed, it is very likely that she would just not have understood and would have beamed amiably at her tormentors, shaming them with her innocence. Jennifer, why are you so pretty? It's so 
world, in the world, is unbelieving, unbelievable condescension, rudeness, horror of that passage. Absolutely, you two don't want to read my, my memoirs. Um, my memoirs, my chapter <laughs> to you is just as you know. <laughs> but I have to say, like, I mean, I don't want to be mean about Jennifer Worth. But when she, the book, when Call the Midwife, the series starts and when the book starts, she says how beautiful she is as a, and the fact yes. that she could yeah, she, have been a model. model. Yeah. And that's literally and how I the book So she's clearly, I don't know, she's a bit, yeah. Full of herself? Absolutely yeah. full of herself and thinks she's such hot stuff? Yeah. Well, 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 hang on, hang on. Yeah. Mm. Well, I don't know. I don't want to be slagging her off. Like we, we absolutely love her stuff. Like we've literally done a podcast to a book. Like, let's calm it down. Uh, yeah, we can calm it down. But the, but the fact that listen, I'm not saying look. However, Jennifer Worth looks is is whatever she looks like. It doesn't matter. But just like it was just so. And I think it was poetic license to no. to ham it up to to dramatize dramatize it more to make it more. Yeah, but put yourself in this. If you was, if you're like, oh, I worked with Jennifer Worth in the fifties. I'm going to read a book, and then you start yeah. reading it as a six foot two former midwife. That's what I'm saying. Like, you don't oh. read my book about you two. So I, I won't. I won't because I still want to be friends with you. I, I just, I, I just, I just have to say this because, like, look, you know. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not chummy or whatever like that. I, I know we're very different people and everything and everything, but I, I, and, and regardless of whether I had identified with her personally or not, having certain life experiences that I've had, like just reading that part about, you know, like how horribly people are treating her, especially behind her back. And then just assuming that she doesn't know, I thought, no, people know that's, how. That's, I think it's embellished, highly embellished. So I don't, I don't think that's how she really thought of her or saw her. I think she just got into the swing of writing. And it was very embellished. No, I don't think you can say that because how can you say that the storylines where she's portraying how bleak it is? Maybe that's embellished. Maybe she's a big liar. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that she's really telling the truth of how gritty a situation it was. But then when it comes to Chummy, she's embellishing. Yes. I know, but I just don't know why you'd be one that I got a friend. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just think it's so, I, just the whole thing. I mean, even this chapter, it's like, oh, you know, when she's learning how to ride the bike and like all of that kind of stuff, she's so rude and everything. Well, and like... on this note, do you think that uh, Miranda Hart, when she agreed to take the role, do you think she read this? I <laughs> <laughs> was like, oh. Or do you think well, she just here, read the script? Well, here, here's what I was going to say. I think that when Heidi... Tell me your last name again. Thomas. When Heidi Thomas read this book and was, like, putting together the cast of characters for, you know, the show and everything, that the chummy character, you know, she wanted to include. And I think Heidi Thomas, in her love and compassion and sweetness, created a very different chummy who had a lot of these characteristics but with a much more respectful and loving like light shown on them yeah and then gave her justice by giving her the storyline that she gives to chummy i mean chummy gets the first real love story of the book she gets you know like yeah. all this exposition with her mother to kind of resolve all these issues and everything she becomes a mother herself she becomes you know really powerful in the community you know working for all but really of these causes chummy and gets revenge 
Well, I, I, think Chummy, I think if Miranda Tommy gets justice. If Miranda Hart is anything like Jen, she totally read the book Stir Research. If Miranda <laughs> Hart is anything like me, she just read the script. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um also can I just say Julie Kirk, oh, but... one of our followers on Facebook, has written about talking about characters and actors. And yeah. she says she found the physical description of Fred fascinating. I did too. Like no human in existence ever looks like that. No teeth. I, like... I totally agree. I before totally we agree. move off before we move off Chummy, can we just say so in the on the show, obviously when Chummy has her romance with Peter, so in the book this situation when she's learning to ride the bike and she crashes into Peter that does happen in real life but obviously mm-hmm. in the show she goes on to have a romance with Peter because he's the police officer that she crashes into yeah um but I think Heidi Thomas has read Jennifer Worth's description and thought this is mean and cruel yes so obviously when Chummy is talking about how like Pete for the first time she feels like someone's pro- truly seen her Mm. I think that's Heidi Thomas being like mm-hmm. just for me. Mm-hmm. I I completely agree. Do well, yeah, in the actual in the actual book, they, it's Cynthia who's more of a hit with the policeman. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Cynthia's description is incredibly wild. Um, I know, so different. Yeah, she's got a and slow, Cynthia... sexy voice that like yeah. keeps in everyone who she talks to. Yeah, she's a bit and more like Cynthia... Yeah. Cynthia is also a hit with um Jimmy's friends. Oh yeah, yeah, she is. Oh well, we're gonna get there in just a second. Wait, I'm gonna go. I just want to say this point about Julie Coates said about it would have been difficult to find an actor that looked like that. And um, and I was just thinking about Fred. Do you think Fred, <laughs> that Cliff Parisi, the guy who plays Fred? Do you think he was like, hang on, they're getting me playing a toothless man with a <laughs> with a pot belly, skew with eyes, what? like. <laughs> Well, here, let me let me read let me read this description, okay? Um, and was... before you read the description, let's remind the viewers that if I could be any character, it would be Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now she's saying the description, it that makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know you all don't know what Becky looks like, but just re- listen to what I'm about to say, and you'll get a really good picture, okay? <laughs> Spoiler alert, she's beautiful in real life. No, I know. That is a complete joke, which is why we're all laughing so hard, okay? Uh, Here we go. This is Fred. Stunted growth, short bowed legs, powerfully hairy arms, pugnacious, obstinate, resourceful. All these attributes were combined with endless chat and irrepressible good humor. His most striking characteristic was the spectacular squint. One eye was permanently directed northeast while the other roved in a southwesterly direction. If you add to this the single yellow tooth jutting from his upper jaw, which he generally held over his lower lip and sucked, you would not say he was a beautiful specimen of manhood. However... So delightful was his optimism, good humor, and artless self-confidence that the sisters held him in great affection and leaned on him heavily for all practical matters. Amazing. I know. Yeah. Just so perfect. Eyes going akimbo, a tooth here. A he- you know, I mean, just, oh, it's great. It's just so great. I mean, it makes, not- it makes the guy who plays Fred on the show sound like Paul Newman. You know what I mean? Like yeah. an absolute, I mean, he just looks so, he's so handsome in comparison to that description. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's so But fun. all of the hair. Hand- that. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, but- Fred in the book and Fred in the show are so similar. Like in terms of what they do, like storylines they get up to and everything. Yeah. They really copied directly a lot out of here. It's awesome. 
all of the harebrained schemes that he comes up with to make money. So the pigs, the um, toffee apples covered in feathers like that. Mm -hmm. It's all there. It's all there. Okay. So we spoke about Chummy. We were going to also mention Jen's favorite. Jimmy. I know. Listen, I will make this brief. I will make this brief. But I'm sorry, it's just too important. It's just too oh, important. Oh, it's not. He's not important. It is. It is. Okay. Again, Jennifer Worth. I just have to roast her. Okay. This is actually. This is actually context because I wanted to give this about Jennifer Worth. I wrote a dreaded Gerald. She says because she's talking about Jimmy like she known him her whole life. She says, I had no boyfriends at all when I was young. This was not, I hope, because I was unattractive or boring or sexless, but because I was so in love with a man I couldn't have and whom my heart ached more or less all of the time. For that reason, no other male held the slightest romantic interest for me. I enjoyed the company and conversation of my men friends and their lively and wide-ranging minds. But the mere idea of a physical relationship with any man other than the one I, I loved was abhorrent to me. And then she goes, in consequence, I had great many friends and was, in fact, very popular with the boys. In my experience, nothing arouses a young man's interest more than the challenge of a pretty girl who, for some inexplicable reason, does not appear to find him the sex symbol of the century. <laughs> the and that, nice that, re that, listeners, is what Jen finds Jimmy. <laughs> Oh, I'm really just ripped. you went then, you went then. The internet went. Oh, wait, sorry, sorry. It just sounds like literally ripped from like a women's magazine of of 1958. You know what I mean? Like her, the way she wrote that, like that, that just paragraph just absolutely made me gag. Like it was so funny the way she wrote that. And so anyway, so she meets up with Jimmy, blah, blah, blah. She, so they, they go and have the, um, Thing where all the friends go for a swim just like they do in the show except in the book they go to Brighton where the ocean is and they're gonna try to walk into the ocean at Brighton she has the asthma attack and it was it was really sweet he goes um like she's starting to have the asthma attack and then and then she says Jimmy came out of the water laughing and throwing seaweed at someone he walked towards me we couldn't really see each other as this is by, by the way the middle of the night not the middle of the afternoon like it is in the show and he threw himself on the pebbles beside me, but at once he sensed that something was wrong. Perhaps he could hear me wheezing. His gaiety left him and he became kind, concerned, thoughtful, as I had always known him when he was a little boy. And then he just basically takes like so much care of her through her asthma attack. Yeah, great. Which was really sweet. Go ahead. And the, there's no romance between, but she mentions no. the fact that if only she could have loved Jimmy. I think she, yes. I think Jennifer Worth probably assumed that Jimmy was in love with her. Yes, yes. She says, not for the first time I reflected on what a pity it was that I couldn't love Jimmy. I had always liked him, but no more than that. Okay, so fast forward. Uh, can we talk about Gerald as well? Oh, no, let's fast forward about Jimmy. Carry yeah, on. yeah, we'll, fin we'll finish this thing with Jimmy. So this is what's really sad about Jimmy, though, and this absolutely broke my heart. Okay, she goes, a year later... Jimmy got a girl into trouble and married her. He could not support a wife and child on his apprentice pay to be an architect. So he left his training in the fourth year and took a job as a draftsman with a suburban, count, suburban county council. And then she goes, about 30 years later, quite by accident, I bumped into Jimmy to Tesco's car park. He was staggering under the weight of a huge bo box, walking beside a large cross-looking woman carrying a potted plant. She was talking incessantly and blah 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 and then and then she sees him and she says jimmy and he goes jenny lee after all these years the woman poked him and you know he's like oh and then it says his pale eyes seemed to lose all their color he looked at me despairingly and said yes dear as they left i heard her say suspiciously who is that woman anyway oh just a girl i used to know in the old days there was nothing between us dear he shuffled off the epitome of the hen-pecked husband 
Now, I think I object to this because you can't know that from bumping into somebody in the middle of Tesco car park. You can't, but I will say this to me was another way that Heidi Thomas found a way to give Jimmy a happier story than what he had on, in the book. Because in the show, Jimmy says, I'm really, really happy with what's her Francine, Francine. And, and the new baby. And it seems like it's working out well. And I thought that was so much of a nicer ending than this sad. I mean, you can't know. Fair, though, that it, that not, is but... a bit like, you know, the, the wife could have been like, oh, hi. Like, you know, but she was like, come on, we've got to go. And he was like, coming dear. We don't know <laughs> any sort of context about what was happening that day. It's true. We don't. Um, but but it was just sad yeah. that she didn't see him in a good in a good light or whatever. So, okay, so we'll take a break on Jimmy. So where do you want to go next, Al? Well, I think we've done too much now. So I feel like we need to do a second episode, everyone, because the book is too fun back. So I think we should all say goodbye and then <laughs> we shall do a new episode because it's too much. We can't do it all in one go. I know. Otherwise, I know, it'll be 65 hours long. So, <laughs> it's too rich. Yes, thank you so much for listening, everyone. <laughs> if you have got to this point, um, yeah. if you've not given up on us, yeah, yeah, probably, <laughs> I feel like giving up on us. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you for part two. Yes, we'll see you then. See you next. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.